You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk to I am Rabbi Chief Jacobs with NM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com. And of course, I will answer as many as I can, even when I'm traveling back and forth to the East Coast, flying off to Chicago. I am just a world traveler right now. But speaking about traveling, I must tell you a story that happened um, last week. So as we've mentioned, for those who are paying attention, um, my son got married last week. So we drove in last week, Thursday. We ended up doing the trip in one day even though we left like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but I made such good time. By 12.15, I was in Muncie. I was by my nephew's um, Eifruf, um for Shabbos, and then the wedding was Monday night in Lakewood, so I went already Saturday night. We went down to Lakewood, got all preparation, and look, I've done the trip back and forth from Detroit to Lakewood, Detroit to Muncie. I, I don't want to say I know it by heart, but I've done it... Um, I don't know, over the last 30 years, if I've done it 90 times. So I've taken the trip. Anyways, on the way back, so usually we like to leave very early in the morning. But the wedding was Monday night. Till we get home, till we get everybody undressed, and everybody takes their showers, you're getting into bed 1 o'clock in the morning, I said, you know, there's no rush. Let's have a good breakfast in the morning. Let's take our time. We didn't leave... New Jersey, Lakewood, till around 10.30. You know, God has his plans. Which meant that if I made good timing, I'd be back in Detroit around um, 9.30 because we make stops and we let the kids eat and people have to go to the bathroom or you have to get gas a couple times. There's a few stops. you gotta got to stretch your legs. Plus, uh, I had done so much dancing that my leg was so Charlie horse, the sitting... St- you know, stiffened it up. So I needed a few times to walk around. Anyways, so if you've ever traveled through Pennsylvania, they have rest areas. The truckers stop off there. It's a good, uh, I don't know how often they have them, 30 miles, 40 miles, 50 miles. You, you get off, you go to the bathroom, they have vending machines. So we, we get off by one. It's probably, I'm going to say, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So we've been driving, I don't know, six hours. So we get off, kids go to the bathroom, everybody stretches. So we take a sandwich maker. They have plugs outside. We have bread. We have cheese. So uh, we have to pray the afternoon prayers. So we're there, and somebody, all of a sudden, somebody sees us, comes over, and he says, oh, Minion? I said, look, I got four. Unless you got another four or five with you. He says, nope, nope, no, I'm by myself. And uh, we're talking. Where are you going? He's going to Chicago. He's coming from Brooklyn. And then he tells us something that I think our mouths just dropped. He says, yeah, this is day two of our trip. It's probably going to take us three days to get to Chicago. I said, three days? Like, it can't take three days to drive from New York to Chicago. I'm not saying you can do it in one day. It's a good 14, 15 hours, I understand. But how is it taking you three days? 
And he's starting to explain to us, well, you know, the kids, and this one screams and carries on and throws up, and sometimes every 15 minutes we get off at the next exit and we stop. And so my wife says, one second, tell your wife to come here, and I'm going to teach you how to do this trip. You, you cannot spend three days traveling from New York to Chicago. You just can't do it. You, you'll go crazy. We explained. We told them certain medicines. That children get nauseous. There's medicines out there that over-the-counter. For some reason, my kids don't like the taste. We tried it once. We thought the taste was fine, but what do we know? So we mix it with Gatorade or, or, uh, or, or yogurt or something. I said, you got to get this medicine. Your kids won't be nauseous. You got to get your kid tablets or something else. They have something to do, something to watch, something to listen to, something to play with. And then you got to drive. You, you just can't stop every exit down the highway. You'll never do this trip again. <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, if our daughter told us that it took her three days to do the trip, we would say, don't come. Either we're going to pay for plane tickets or don't get on the plane. It's just ridiculous. But anyways, it was like, it was interesting to run into somebody like that and hopefully we helped them because I got to get home, right? So hopefully we gave them enough ideas how to travel, travel comfortable. You can't just be wearing, you know, regular um, tight clothes. You got to be loose. You got to be comfortable. You got to have nash for the kids. Nash is a great word. If you don't know the word nash. So I told you one time I was coming across the Canadian border, which we haven't been able to do for the corona while. I think now you're allowed. So they always ask you, you bring any food with you? So you say no. The problem is my wife is sitting there munching on potato chips. So I said today, oh, we have nash. He says, nash? Never heard of nash. He said, nash is a Jewish word, which is like dipsy doodles, potato chips, things that you munch on, those little uh, cookies, that kind of stuff. So you can be sure that the next Jewish family coming through, the guy says, you say you have no food, you got any nash? Right, so I'm not sure if it happened or not. I didn't go back to check. But in any case... So that was last weekend that we got away. And uh, I figured this is the Torah portion. You got Jacob marrying Leah and they're marrying Rachel and, uh, and having children. This is just like that perfect Torah portion. You got the father-in-law, right? We all uh, like to think we're good father-in-laws, but I don't know. I'm not sure. We all like to voice our opinion, and I'm sure the children are not always so happy to hear the opinion. And somehow the older we get, the more we decide it doesn't really matter if they want to hear our opinion. Um, we're going to tell them anyways. They will listen. They won't listen. 20 years later, they'll decide we're right. We probably did the same thing. But in any case, there's an interesting thought. You, um, you can't really make everybody happy. My friends are all here in Detroit. My family, children, cousins, uncles... My mother, my father-in-law, they're all on the East Coast. We prefer not to bring them dragging and kicking and screaming to our parties over here. It's easier if we go to them. Besides, it would have to be a convention, and we're not looking to create conventions. So, um, so there's, it's an interesting thought, and that is that I know my friends can't come. Some of them called, some of them texted, but you know, just because you can't, make it to the wedding doesn't mean you can't dance for me if you're happy for me if you're my friend if you're listening to my voice now 
and I'm making a celebration, a child is getting married, you could dance in your room by yourself and be happy for me. It, it, it creates good vibes. You could buy yourself a Danish on me. I mean, you'll pay for it because uh, I'm not going to be able to find you. But buy something, eat, and say, I'm doing this to join in the, in the, in the simcha and the occasion of my friend's wedding. I do it for people all the time. I can't make it to your wedding. I can't go. I can't always travel. My friends are teachers. We can't shut down school every time somebody wants to make a party on the East Coast. As somebody once said to me, either you have family, which is beautiful, or you have friends, which is beautiful. It's all beautiful. You may not be able to have everybody, and you don't need everybody. What you have is beautiful, but those who can't make it, be happy for me. I'm happy for you. You're happy for me. It's just a beautiful type of attitude that gets built. So there happens to be an interesting story with a, a rabbi. He, uh, he passed away a bunch of years ago. His name was Rosham Shvadron. I actually heard him speak in Israel. He would come to my school um, once a week, and he would talk. He had, he had all the stories in the world. He, he, he just lived for stories. He had stories. He had good stuff to say. He talked. He, uh, he let you know when you were doing something wrong, when you were doing something right. He was a really very special person. So he talks, he was in England one time, and, and uncharacteristically, he tripped. And, uh, and he fell, and he didn't understand, like, what happened, like, why am I falling? So he went to the Manchester Shiva to discuss, you know, those great people know when something happens, it's a message from God. For most of us, there's so many things we do wrong, right? How are you supposed to figure out the message? It's, it's just all... There's too many things that we're not good at that we have to fix. So it's more of a general message than a specific. So he wanted to know what my feet, what my feet do wrong. So he went to the Manchester Shiva. So the Manchester Shiva said to him, he said, let's think, you know, uh, your feet, dancing, you're supposed to be somewhere. He says, you know, I have a very, very close friend um, who's making a wedding right now in America. But it was too hard to, to go to America now to be by this friend's wedding. So I didn't go. So the Manchester Shiva said, that's the problem. Says, you're anyways traveling. You're a world traveler. This was Shalom Shadron, traveled the world, did a lot of fundraising, uh, did, spoke all over the place. He said, for you, traveling is, uh, you know, for some people it's uh, getting in a taxi and going to another city. For you, okay, you have to get on a plane. Says, you need to go to that wedding. That's why you fell and hurt yourself. So he made arrangements. He missed the wedding, right? The wedding's in America. He was in England. He missed the wedding. But he made his arrangements. He actually walked in by the last night of what's called Sheva Brachis. There is, including the night of the wedding. So again, if you've been by a Jewish wedding, so what happens is you have first the, the person in charge, the officiating, the officiating rabbi. He makes some blessings, and the groom will give the bride a ring, and he will say this famous verse or phrase, right? you are betrothed to me, I write um, with the knowledge of Moses and the Jewish people. And they gives her the ring, or he puts the ring on her. And then they read the ketubah, which is just saying the requirements, what a husband has to a wife. And then they have what's called seven blessings. That's like part two of the wedding ceremony. And, and those seven blessings are said by any meal that is made in honor of the bride and groom during the next week. Generally, we do it for a week. Technically, if you were to make 
a festive meal for the bride and groom anytime during the year. It could be you can make these seven blessings. We generally do not. We generally only make it for that week. So the night of the wedding is, is day one. And then you have all the nights, if there are parties, if there's not parties. My son who just got married, so they did one Tuesday night. My children did one Wednesday night. Um, we said Thursday's a travel day. Be nice to everybody. Um, Shabbos, which would be Friday night, and, and Shabbos by day, and Shabbos afternoon, and maybe, hopefully not after Shabbos. Um, I'll fly into Chicago with my wife for that. Then we'll fly back. Then they'll have Sunday night. And then, as we say, the party's over. And they'll go back Monday, back to the East Coast, so they can get back into the real world. But that's this week. It's called each meal will have these seven blessings said. It's called Shavabrachis. So Shon Shadran made it to the final Shavabrachis because my friend is making a wedding. How could I not go? So good. He was in a position where he could go. Most of us are generally not in that kind of position to fly around the world or even to fly cross-country to friends' weddings. It doesn't always work. But at least you could call. At least you could text. At least you can make a message like, I've been walking around school for the last three days. Everybody who sees me, they couldn't make it. They don't have to apologize for not making it. I know they can't make it. They're not asking you to spend 500 bucks and take a day or two off school to come to my wedding. You see me, you say mazel tov. You, you, you are sharing in my simcha. Now, usually, there'll be a, a local party, like with each of my kids, for all the people who couldn't make it, they want to come to a meal where they'll say this Sheva Brachis, then we'll get together, and people will say nice things about me. You know, there's sometimes they're stuck. they got to say nice things. It's a beautiful thing. And I have to show I appreciate them, and I thank them for coming. Um, with this son, we're not doing it. Um, it works out because I have two weddings in a row, and I, I don't want to pressure people to come to two meals. Like I say, the same speeches twice, like a little funny. But my son actually said that he very much wanted his siblings because he has five siblings that are married, he, he wanted his siblings to make a Shabbat Brachs for him. So he said, fine, instead of coming to Detroit, he'll stay in Lakewood, they'll make a party for you, and very good. Everyone will appreciate it. They sent me a picture. A couple looks amazing. And, um, and, and that's what we do, right? So everybody comes in the hallway, Mazel Tov, it's so beautiful. How was the wedding? Yeah, ask a few questions, show you care. That's part of being a person. Um, anyways, so, but it led me to a, once we're talking about weddings and parties, um, I saw a, an amazing story about how things were a couple hundred years ago. So there's a story with the Bionis and Ibschitz. So going back historically, they didn't have schools like we have where there's hundreds, thousands of boys that are studying and everybody wants a, a, a Talmudic scholar, a boy who's studying for a few years. And in the old days, they actually tested the boys. And I was, if you wanted, if you wanted a superstar son-in-law, whether you were going to support him, whether you yourself were a great person, and you and you deserved, I guess we'll say, to have your daughter marry such a Talmudic scholar, it was it was pretty standard that you would test the boy. In other words, if I'm going to either support, if I'm going to let you get into my, my lineage, I need to know that you are an outstanding Torah scholar. They would test them. That was very, very common. And by the way, they got married pretty young. 
13, 14, 15. It was very normal. They were working. People didn't live so long in those days. Right? People got married much, much younger. They also, when they were younger, hung out in their parents' or in-laws' houses for a couple of years till they were you know, ready to be out on their own. But interesting enough, the future father-in-law says to the future Yenis and Ibshitz, you know, I know I tested you, but I hope you don't mind. I, I got to test you again. So Yenis and Ibshitz said, uh, like, everyone tests one time. I know, I know, I know, but I, I, but I can't help it. You know, um, a person, it says, should should sell everything uh, to to marry to marry his daughter off to a Talmud Chacham, so to a Talmud, a Talmud scholar, I hope you don't mind. So Yeni Zayibshitz, who was a, he became one of the, the Torah leaders of his generation, he says, look, I don't mind, but I got to tell you the truth. If you need to test me, um, I'm going to have to test you. So the father-in-law says, why? He says, well, here's the deal. There's a concept called chazaka. That is, wherever things were, we assume they stayed the same. That's called chazaka. That whatever it was, we can assume stayed the same. That's, in other words, it's a basic assumption. So it's not nice that a son-in-law should test the father-in-law because we can assume that his father-in-law tested him. So if we rely on assumption, so I can assume you were tested once, no reason to test you, and it's not appropriate, but you should test me because I was never tested. But... Now that you're telling me you want to test me a second time, so you don't rely on assumption. If you don't rely on assumption, then I can't rely on assumption. And I need to test you because you're one time. We can't rely on that assumption because you don't rely on assumption. Um, you can imagine that story didn't end well, and Rebionis and Ibsis did not marry that person's daughter. But in any case... So we're talking, so I just want to give you a picture, right? In other words, so I want my daughter should marry a Talmudic scholar. Now, the problem is that we want this Talmudic scholar to stay in school. Well, how is he supposed to afford to stay in school and study and not support his family? He's going to need help from the family. Therefore, it is extremely common in my circles, and the same thing with my uh, my son that just got married, their family wanted a Talmudic scholar. You have to support for a couple of years. You have to help them out with rent. Sometimes you have to help them out with more than rent, but you have to help them financially. You know, people look at it like so strange, but the truth is, if your daughter wanted to marry somebody in medical school and they wanted to get married, your daughter might come back to you and say, look, we can't afford to to get married because... He has no income. He's studying to be a doctor. Eventually, he'll take care of himself. But you want us to get married. If you want us to get married, you're going to have to help us for a couple of years. So the same way you will do it if you're, for your son, the doctor, why not do it for your son-in-law, the, uh, the uh, Talmudic scholar? The most, most normal thing in the world. Okay. Um... So I, let's touch on, there's, a, there's some other parts in this week's Torah portion that I think are very well worth touching on because there's so many things happening. So let's get in more stories about the marriage over here. Just really amazing self-sacrifice takes place 
in this week's Torah portion. So what happens? So Jacob goes to the well. He meets Rachel. Rachel warns Jacob that her father, Lovin, is a trickster, a gangster, a criminal, a crook. He's, he's just not a trusted person. So she's trying to tell Jacob, how are you going to deal with him? Jacob says, don't worry, I know how to deal with him. But one of the things Jacob does to protect himself is he says, listen here, my, my future wife, Rachel. I'm going to give you a code. I'm going to teach you some basic Jewish law that a Jewish mother needs to know about. The mother lights candles Friday night. When you make a dough, you make a large dough, you have to take some of the dough off because that's set aside for the priest, for the Kohanim. Um, There's certain laws of purity and impurity that you need to know about. So when we're standing under the chuppah, Right? If I don't recognize you, maybe you're wearing a veil, I can't see who you are, I'm going to ask you for these three basic laws. And no one else is going to know about them because you're the only girl I'm teaching them to. Great plan. Except Jacob didn't realize who he was dealing with. He didn't realize how special this Rachel was. You see, because seven years later, when they're ready to get married, and they put the covering over the faces, and again, Jacob probably hasn't seen them for seven years. They've grown up. Maybe he doesn't recognize their sisters. They look similar. So Lovin brings Leah in place of Rachel. Again, their face is covered. You can't see nothing. And under the chuppah, Jacob is going to test her on these three things. So what happens? Rachel sees her sister being led to the chuppah instead of her. So she could say nothing. And if she says nothing, her sister will be embarrassed amazingly. Her sister doesn't know that her father's playing games. Or she could make sure her sister doesn't get embarrassed. And she can tell her these three things. And there's two ways of giving over the message. She could say, really, I'm supposed to marry Jacob, but I, but I see our father wants you to get married. This is just the secret code. Or she can talk to her sister and say, no secret code, but this is something that a Jewish wife needs to know. So what does she do? She runs to her sister. She says, my dear sister Leah, you know, I've spoken to Jacob. I know there's a couple Jewish laws that he expects his wife to know. You're about to be his wife. I'm just telling you these three laws. She tells her the laws. Leah's clueless. She has no idea that these laws were a secret code between Jacob and Rachel. So she goes ahead. Jacob under the canopy says, "What's the uh, what? What, you know, what are these? What are some things a Jewish wife needs to know?" Oh, I know them. Uh, you gotta you gotta light candles, and uh, you gotta do the tithing with the challah, and you gotta know the rules of some purity and impurity laws. Oh, very good. You must be Rachel. The the verse says the next morning, right? He, he wakes up and finds out it's Leah. Right? Because he didn't realize that he'd been tricked. And he shouldn't have been tricked because the only one that knew was Rachel. Rachel gave the code. Now, by the way, Jacob himself is very kind because he could have told Rachel, I planned on marrying one wife. You gave the secret code. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, life moves on. But Jacob was kind to Rachel. When Rachel gave the code, when she gave over these, these laws, she had no idea that Jacob was going to be willing to marry her. So it's, it's an amazing self-sacrifice 
what a person is willing to do so someone won't be embarrassed. And she must have cared and loved her sister so deeply that she was willing to give up everything so that her sister doesn't get embarrassed. That's amazing. And by the way, the story continues because later on in the Torah portion, when Leah's son Reuben, or Reuven, comes in a field with flowers, so uh, so then again, oh, my time is up. You're just going to have to go look it up yourself because they told me I got to wrap it up. And the music is playing, and I hope you enjoy it short and sweet. And of course, thank you to all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Andy behind the table. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.